right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is episode 37. Um, it was actually recorded on Christmas Day. Uh, it's kind of tough to get guests this time of year, but that's okay. Um, I've got Daniel with me, who uh, actually was in the military um, and then went out and became a licensed pharmacist. And I may not be saying that right, but he corrects it in the show. Um, and I just wanted to speak to another person that's just an average workaday person. Um, and see where they're at with things. And it turns out that um, here's another individual who recognizes um, a lot of the false things going on. But um, I want to thank Daniel. It was very difficult to find someone to speak with, uh, of course, and we did the recording right on Christmas Day. So kudos, Daniel, for taking the time out because uh, I'm sure you had things to do with your family. But anyhow, this episode is a little bit different, but this is how we'll close the year, and I will be back um with more typical episodes uh, in early January. So anyhow, let's jump right in. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This will be episode 37 using the corrupted numerical system that we all use. Um, I've got kind of an interesting guest here. Uh, as I was uh, working a day or two ago, I got a message on my Crow 777 Radio email uh, from Daniel, who has uh, served in the military and was apparently one of the first people to be licensed, and that's probably not the right word, but we'll correct that shortly, uh, as a pharmacist um, or into the pharmacy industry. I'll let Daniel better define that when we get going. Um, but I understand that he got kind of an insider's view to kind of the corruption uh, that we all know the insurance companies are, and of course into big pharma, um, you know, living in the, in the Western world where most people are that are listening to this, you understand that we live in a time where pretty much you are prescribed pills for almost everything. And it's not really about curing people a lot of the time. It's more about treating symptoms and actually causing more symptoms with some of the medications we get. On top of that, uh, very few people are aware that insurance companies are some of the richest corporations on the face of this world, actually dwarfing oil companies. Uh, I kid you not. I was looking into this not too long ago. But let's jump right in. Uh, it is actually Christmas Day, so Daniel, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Crow. My pleasure. So, hey, man, we met for the first time a few minutes ago just to be sure that we, you know, could talk together and have something to say, uh, you know, doing the, the due diligence before we started recording here. But let's start with um, some of the things that you and I covered just briefly as we were meeting um, your service in the military that led out to your professional career? All right. Uh, I uh, pretty much went straight from high school to the military. Uh, just shortly after joining the military, I uh, got married, and shortly after being married, had a baby, so I had a lot of responsibility and stress on my shoulders as a very young man. Uh, went to Army Combat Medical medic school originally i was a combat medic wow. uh, then after being in the service for about a year i was selected and attended the uh, army uh, nursing school at fort bragg north carolina which uh, was a full 2000 hour rn program which they condensed into 15 months and how that was possible is we had to attend class eight hours a day five days a week for 15 months. So so basically you come away from that with being a, a, a registered nurse or basically having RN after your name. Uh, no, the Army, if, if I had attended several years prior to the time that I did, that would have been the case. 
But what happened was is that the school intentionally lost their RN accreditation so that they wouldn't have to commission us as officers and thus pay us more. I see. So we were licensed as LPNs, although we had an RN education. I see. Okay. That makes perfect sense to me now that, now that you explain it out. But anyhow, I'll mention, you know, uh, in the Marine Corps, um, you're kind of taught that Marines are the toughest and the best. And I imagine each branch does that. But um, while Marines will sneer at Naval people and Army people, combat medics get all the respect anybody does to include recon and SEALs or anyone like that. So kudos. Thank you, sir. All right. Keep, keep on down the road here. Okay, so um, I, uh, after serving six years, I had uh, suffered a detached retina. I was uh, subsequently medically discharged for this detached retina at a 20% disability, which made me eligible for various uh, veterans programs. I went to uh, work in the civilian world first as a nurse. Uh, and then um, wanted to make some more money, I decided to go work for the principal financial group as a, an assen essentially as a life and health insurance agent. I uh, did that for a year. I was actually a uh, top rookie for the year that I was there and um, learned a lot about just how greedy, corrupt, unethical and amoral that whole industry was to the point I wanted nothing to do with it anymore and uh, got out. Uh, so so, so let, let, let's touch on that a bit. So you're working for the big insurance company. Um, what are you finding there? I mean, there, there's so you hear so many tales of like somebody coming down with some serious illness and then getting into a fight with their insurance company and here's a human being that needs medical care, um, but the insurance companies won't cover it or they'll cover part of it. So, I mean, what, what did you see there that, was, that really was so astounding to you? Okay, well, um, I didn't really get involved in any claims aspect, um, which I know exists, but not from personal firsthand experience. I was a salesperson, but I, what I realized as a salesperson is just how cash flush and rich that company was unbelievably wealthy and part of the way that they get to be so wealthy is they just do anything to sell you insurance and um uh part of the reason they make so money on so much money with life insurance is that people will have a policy pay on it for years and then, you know, move, change jobs, have economic problems, whatever, and then let their policy lapse. And then guess what? Every penny they paid in premiums for all those years goes straight to the insurance company. Um, this, they don't get any refund. That's it. You have to start all over with the new insurance policy at higher premiums now. Yeah, uh, that, that's crazy. I mean, for the average person, you know, like in most places in the United States, you're required to car, to carry auto insurance. Um, and I realized a long time ago, if I added up all the premiums that I have paid, uh, it's miles beyond any repairs, even when I've had an accident. Um, when I was younger, I had to get some cars fixed in a major way. But the amount of money that I have paid to the insurance companies doesn't even come close to the amount of money that they've actually given me back. And as most people understand, 
your insurance company is your best friend until you need to make a claim, and then they're, you know, then your enemies again. Um, so it's crazy. But anyhow, keep on, keep on, uh, keeping on. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that just I thought was just almost gross was our uh, agency manager uh, was this guy by the name that, of no, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me stop you right there. Um, this will go out to the public. So saying name, saying names of corporations or names of people might not be a good idea. Okay. Okay. Uh, go ahead. I won't use his last name. He has a very common first name. Uh, okay, so this, and besides, he's deceased now, anyways. So his his name was Dave. This guy made a base salary of a half of a million dollars a year. Wow. He showed up to the office about two to three times a week for about two to three hours. Walked around, patted people on the back, talked about baseball, and lived like a king. And that salary didn't include all the bonuses and everything else he got from all the other uh, sales from all the agents within the agency. So um, I wondered, you know, why is such a, you know, a, a, a joking buffoon getting paid so much to, you know, to live like that when he doesn't do anything? It just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and it just goes to show just how rich those those companies are. So, I mean, are, are we just talking about a, a Harvard boy or nepotism or something? Or is it somebody who literally worked into that position? What do you think? Uh, he he did have some uh, family connections. Um, and uh, I don't know that it makes any difference or not, but he was Jewish. And all the long-term, very uh, wealthy people within the agency were all Jews, and I don't know what it has to do anything. I'm not, not an anti-Semite. I don't even know that much about anti-Semitism, but I can just say they were Jews for what it's worth. So all of the management, um, their religion was was Jewish. Yep. Huh. Yep. Were, were there any managers that were not Jewish? Uh yes, there were. Yep. But the primary big people were all happened to all be Jewish. Yep. So, so the whole upper echelon was Jewish. I don't know. You're not sure about that. Anyhow, let's let's just keep keep on keeping on. I don't want to beat the dead okay. horse. So you were okay. you were headed in a direction when I jumped in. Okay, that's just fine. So I got, you know, well, for one thing, uh, they just told us as agents, just do whatever it takes to make the sale, um, regardless of of what it took. Um, and it just seemed that there were just very little morals or ethics involved in what we were doing other than, you know, if you were bringing in sales, you were the hero. If you weren't bringing in sales, they let you know that they were very unhappy very quickly. Well, if you if you were a salesperson, I'm guessing you were familiar with the products. Um, did you feel that the uh, the products that were being sold were unfair or subpar or designed to basically rip people off in any way? I did not have that experience, and uh, as far as I know, they paid out their life insurance uh, if somebody died without issue. All right. Well, the the real purpose for our call here is to get over to the kind of pharmacy experience that you've had. Fine. So so let's roll the timeline in that direction. Okay, that's just fine. So um, uh, so anyways, I wanted to be a voiceover actor and work in the entertainment industry. But I had two young children at the time, 
and I didn't want them to suffer the financial consequences of their dad being a starving artist. So what I did is I, I looked up into the Occupational Outlook Handbook and discovered that the uh, minimum amount of education necessary for the highest guaranteed salary at, at the time was that of a pharmacist. So I decided I would go to pharmacy school. Well, being that I had um, these uh, benefits from the VA, I went to the VA and said, hey, will you guys help me pay, go to pharmacy school? And they said, well, we're not in the habit of paying people to complete professional programs, but we will help you go to HVAC repair school or automotive repair, et cetera. And I was interested in that. So I, on my own dime, uh, finished the bulk of my pre-med on my own at a near 4.0 average. And I want to say something right there. I was not an overly smart person. I got good grades because I did my homework problems until I didn't have to think about them anymore to get the correct answer. So I really, really had to work hard. Um, so um, I finished almost all my pre-med on my own at a near 4.0 average, went back to the VA and said, look, I've done all this on my own, on my own dime. Now will you guys help me finish uh, you know, pharmacy school. The way phar pharmacy school works is just like medical school. You've got to have a full pre-med curricula, and then you apply to pharmacy school or medical school or nursing school or whatever. So in my case, um, I wanted to go to pharmacy school. They, they said, well, look, based on the what you've completed already and the grades you've got, we have a fairly high confidence that you'll be able to finish the program. And uh, so, yes, we will pay for you to go to pharmacy school. So they, they gave me a $1,600 a month stipend, paid for all my books and tuition. And uh, three years later, I graduated from pharmacy school. How, how difficult would you say that curriculum was, you know, based on the experiences you'd had prior? Um, Pre-med was a nightmare. Once you actually got into pharmacy school itself, as long as you kept your nose pretty much uh, to the grind, you had stood a pretty good chance of completing the program. We had uh, like an 88% completion rate from our class. Wow. But let me say, yeah, that's, that was pretty good. Um, but let me say this, though. The, the nursing school uh, that I attended in the Army was excellent. And so much so that I learned almost everything that I learned about medicine and healthcare from that nursing school. Pharmacy school, on the other hand, I have no idea how my fellow uh, pharmacist uh, had any confidence practicing as a pharmacist at all based on that pharmacy school education, because as far as I was concerned, it was a pathetic joke. So once you were, well, I mean, what's the price return? Is it, is it a licensed pharmacist? Is that the licensed, right term? Red, licensed, registered pharmacist. Yeah. And just, just to clarify something that you said in the intro there, I'm not the first licensed pharmacist. I'm the, I was the, that was the first licensed pharmacist from being sponsored through the Veterans Occupational Rehab Program. I see. So, so basically once you got through school, uh, you entered the workforce. That's right. I, I, I took my national uh, 
uh, pharmacy boards and my state law exam. And uh, after completing uh, some 1,500 hours of pharmacist internships, uh, I became a licensed registered pharmacist. So when you go to Walgreens and you see the pharmacist back there, that's what I was. So where you so when when you got out into the were what exactly when you got out into the workforce were you doing you were you were the main you were the head guy in the pharmacy or you're in you know explain to me what that was okay well first of all let me let me go back a little bit to to my internship I did an internship at a compounding pharmacy and uh, as an unlicensed uh, intern I made an IV medication all the way from its raw chemicals into pumping it in vials and delivering it to the UPS guy. Um, the the IV, particular IV medication that we made uh, cost $120 per vial. Our cost was $0.24. Cents. You're kidding me. No, absolutely not. Oh my gosh! And so, I mean, how how critical was this medication to the people who were getting it? Uh, well, in this particular case, it was for a uh, veterinary application, uh, but it was essentially useless. <laughs> so, so I got to ask you. I mean, is it typical for people who are educated in this way to be doing, you know, actually doing the chemistry and making the compounds and stuff like that? Uh, it would depend, I think, on the particular outfit you work for. When you go into a typical pharmacy like Walmart, are there any compounds or drugs being made there, or is it pretty much no. just reselling? You, when you work for Walgreens, you are counting pills by five all day long. Uh, the typical pharmacist who works in a Walgreens could go through a two-week program and function just as well. So, I mean, once you're in the job, I mean, what, what's your impression? You're seeing, you know, what most American people, what medications are going out to them. And I don't think we should specifically talk in any way that, um, you know, identifies any group of people in any way. But my point is, I mean, what did you notice about the medications? Yours? Did you draw any parallels, you know, to what so many people are getting for medication? Okay. Well, uh, let me say this, probably 95%, well, let's just take antibiotics out of, the, out of the equation for a moment, because antibiotics do work, they do save lives, and there's, there's, uh, uh, they're necessary in our modern world, okay? So let's just take antibiotics out of the picture for a moment okay. and consider all the other medications. I would say that a good 95% of them are not only completely useless, completely unnecessary, but they're actually toxic and bad for you. Um, why, why do you Why do you think that is? I mean, is are, is that because you can you can read the drug description, or is that because you have some higher knowledge of what it's doing? I mean, if I was to take one of these drugs you just mentioned and I read, you know, the side effects and all that, would I be able to understand that on my own? Uh, I. Probably pretty sure you'd be able to. Yes, L let me give you a two-minute biology lesson that'll be the most important biology lesson you've ever learned in your entire life. Okay. okay. Uh, all of the organs and structures in your body consist of cells. 100% of your body consists of cells. Okay. Now, of those cells, 90% of the weight 
of each cells by weight is the cytoplasm, okay? Cytoplasm is water, okay? So literally, we are a big bag of water covered with a billion protein cell membranes. That's all we are. We are aquatic mammals, the same as every other mammal is an aquatic mammal. We're a big bag of water, okay? Now, for years, uh, the recommended daily intake of water was eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day, okay? That's 64 ounces. For a 150 pound adult, that works out to like two and a half percent of your body weight by volume, okay? okay? Now, if you had a murky, ugly, dirty swimming pool and you took out two and a half percent of the water and added two and a half percent clean water, would you have a clean swimming pool? <laughs> no. Absolutely not. So the fountain of youth is the fountain itself. It's water, okay? So the thing of it is, is that where did they come up with this two and a half percent? So now here's the thing. I noticed that some time back, they changed it to run. They did actually increase to like four or five percent. Okay, um, but ten percent is where the magic happens. And when you hear these people writing books about how you can change your life and lose a hundred pounds by drinking, you know, a lot of water, that is absolutely no bullshit. But that being said. When was the last time you went to your doctor and your doctor said, hey, Crow, make sure you drink 10% of your weight in water every day? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I mean, they don't even touch the, the things that matter, like what you're consuming and what you're drinking. But it's funny you should bring up this water thing. I have had so many friends and relatives that kept getting headaches. Um, and I'd been aware since I was a lot younger that simply eating almonds was like this ancient Chinese thing. Uh, the first time I did it, I had a headache. It went away before I even swallowed the almonds just about. But I was, I'd always say, you know, what color is your pee? Maybe you're not drinking enough water. I'd tell them about the almonds, but uh, I even have a friend right now who just really increased the amount of water he's drinking. And he says he feels it's a whole new day. So I think you're making a critical, critical point. Me personally, I drink so much water in a day, I have to pee at least once an hour. Um, and there's no color to my pee, not to be too graphic. But I mean, uh, how much water, I mean, personally, I, I shouldn't say it in that way. I should just ask you personally, how much water do you think you should consume in a day to, to be at a happy place? Well, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the color of your urine. Your urine should be water-like. As, as, as soon as it starts getting dark yellow or having any kind of an odor to it, you are, around, you are walking around in a toxic, dirty, unclean state. If you can drink water to the point where your urine is clear almost all the time, you will have a completely different life. I, I've got to agree with that. Um, I mean, I know it from firsthand experience. When I was younger, um, I, I never drank milk, and I don't think people should drink cow's nope. milk. But anyhow, uh, I always drank water, but when I was younger, I would find I probably wasn't drinking enough. But as an adult, um, I drink a lot of water. I'm lucky I'm on a well here, um, but I can say firsthand that I know what you're saying is correct. So so there we go. If if If... If this is such a basic component 
of our biophysiology. Why isn't it beaten into our heads all the time? The reason why is because they don't make any money from water. <laughs> That's a it's a good point. Um, so I forget how I had worded it to you. So if you had set your antibiotics aside, I, I should probably mention too, since I know. Um, a lot of the guests, a lot of the subscribers, um, how they feel about antibiotics is that you need probiotics on the back end. And I'm not going to get into that. Um, I'm covering this as information from a person who actually walked the walk and worked in this place called a pharmacy, with very, which very few of us have any experience at. So to, to get back to it, you know, you're saying that, in your opinion, a lot of these drugs didn't really have much value at all. But I mean, did did you see what it appears to be just from those people who might watch TV where everyone's on antidepressants, everyone's on pain pills, everyone's on, um, I mean, what, what, what was your experience seeing what is actually being issued in, okay. in, in mass? I've got an excellent example for you. Do you remember about 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago back going now, that they made such a huge deal about your cholesterol and everybody was worrying about cholesterol, and they had cereals with that would lower your cholesterol, yep. and, and all the drugs that they came out. Okay, well, they came out with these drugs they call statin drugs, which was these drugs that was supposedly magically supposed to lower your cholesterol. Well, first of all, as research would come out years later, they figured out that they really don't know what your cholesterol levels mean. Okay, and that you have some people that have supposedly, based on on the the values, have high cholesterol levels that are perfectly healthy, um, and then on the other hand, you have people with low cholesterol levels that, are, that have all these cardiac problems. So it was a scam. Okay, it was the same old thing where they set you up for the problem with the fear, and then, oh, we've got the solution now. We've got these statin drugs that cost $300 a month, and uh, take, come on and take these every month, and then, you know, you'll, you'll be okay, all right? Now, what these drugs did is they made you so sick on so many other different organ functions in your body that you would have to go back to the doctor to get more prescriptions to treat the new symptoms that you had from taking the cholesterol drugs. I can't tell you how many elderly people that I would co see come into the pharmacy that would give me their very first prescription as far as a chronic medication was concerned would be their cholesterol-lowering agent, and then they would become regular customers always bringing new prescriptions for new crap they didn't need. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> so, I mean, in your view, and we should probably, as we talk, these the things you are saying should be put forward as in your view. In um, my opinion. Yeah, in, in your view... Um, do you think that the cholesterol problem, say, in the United States is anywhere near the problem that most of us think it is? Well, first of all, I think that if you drink water, it wouldn't be an issue in the first place. So let's just say that. And secondly, I, don't, that I, would, if, I would never have a family member on a cholesterol-lowering agent. And um, if you do have a cholesterol issue... Uh, Diet, exercise, and you know whole grains uh, with real food is going to do you so much more than uh, than some cholesterol lowering agent does. Um, the 
the cholesterol lowering agents uh, interact with a, a drug they refer to as um, uh, HMG uh, C coactase reductase inhibitor or something like that. But anyway, is it it ends up affecting all your skeletal muscle. So when you take your um, when you take a cholesterol lowering agent, it affects your heart. Uh, and then what happens is you have to go back to the doctor to get a cardiac med. You know, that's kind of insidious. If I mean, if what you're saying is correct, because like people on TV, like say Anthony Bourdain, who clearly goes and eats just about everything all the time and probably way too much, he's actually said during programs that he's on this statin drug or that statin drug. Um, but can you inform us all what it is that makes a statin drug a statin drug, what it is it does? Well, it it, it converts. So in your body, you have uh, good cholesterol and bad, bad cholesterol, supposedly, quote-unquote, right? Yep. And the um, uh, the good cholesterol is the uh, HDL, the high-density lipoproteins, and the bad cholesterol is the LDL, low-density lipoproteins. And supposedly, it, it it uh, inhibits the conversion of LDL, or excuse me, HDL to LDL. So your ratio of of good cholesterol comparison to bad cholesterol remains better uh, as far as our guidelines are concerned. But uh, I, I want to be careful here a little bit because I, I don't know a ton about cholesterol medications other than I would never have a family member on one. I've never taken one. I, I, in fact, I, would, I got to the point where I would encourage patients that came into the pharmacy not to take them because I knew that they were going to develop a slew of other problems if they did. Yeah, man, that's crazy, particularly when, you know, if it's correct that just drinking a good bit more water and of course adjusting your diet cures just about everything I would imagine but let me let me ask you about something you know that that is probably on every shelf in the home like aspirin um, there were many many years ago um, I had been convinced that I should take an aspirin a day so I was doing that um, how do you feel about that uh, that's fine and the reason uh that they say that is because it has a slight anticoagulative effect and uh, so it acts as a bit of a blood thinner right and uh, I, I do think that that's probably you know one of those medications that does have a little bit of an actual beneficial effect that you'd be just fine taking it the the, the problem with aspirin and other and aspirin is in a class of drug they refer to as NSAIDs, which stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Okay, the problem with NSAIDs such as aspirin and ibuprofen, ibuprofen is another NSAID, is that they can be so damaging to the mucosal lining of your stomach and intestines that bleeding ulcers is a severe risk of those drugs, and it happens all the time well so, well I, so, I can actually interject something here to and we'll set aside the fact that if you get injured in the marine corps they're going to give you like a thousand milligram tablets of motrin um but to get back to the point um pain uh, abuse of pain killing narcotics is at epidemic levels um across the country and for those who don't understand many of these pain like vicodin or other things like that uh they have uh, basically Tylenol, the same thing that is Tylenol mixed in with them. Right. Um, they changed the laws at some point uh, to reduce 
how much Tylenol was going in, but basically what you're saying uh, is what everybody knows at this point, that ibuprofen and these, that's basically poison, um, but they've mixed it in with all the painkillers, and there was a period of time, apparently, when they were basically just mailing painkillers to anyone who wanted them. Um, what do you know about this? Okay, um, the, well, first of all, let, let, let's understand that, uh, and I get, you know, qualified by saying this is my belief, Right. That the whole war on drugs was was initiated by the government in the first place because they're the one who brought the drugs over. And the reason they did this was to finance all their black ops and build all their deep underground military bases and things. So so what they would do is is they would set up uh, a, a drug, you know, like a like a coke ring in, in South Central Los Angeles and then go around and arrest all the people that that were caught using or selling the drugs to finance their private prisons. Um, it was the, so they won on both sides, right? Um, and and they got caught doing that. It's no secret that the government, um, particularly the CIA, started the crack epidemic in South Central Los Angeles. But anyhow, keep on going. Yeah. So um, uh, so as as far as the the uh, the addiction to the to the Viking and stuff is concerned. Uh, that's pretty interesting, and the reason why is because uh, Vicodin and and drugs like it have been around for a long, long time. And so, why weren't people addicted to Vicodin in the 1950s and 60s, for example? Um, and why did it become such this this huge deal um, in the in the you know in the last 10 or 20 years? Um, Part of it, I think, is just uh, exposure, is that, you know, the more addicts you have, they, you know, there's sort of this cascade chain reaction where the more addicts you have, they're going to turn on their friends and, and, you know, then they become addicts and who expose more people and so on and so forth. And uh, but what's amazing is, is that uh, I remember uh, being a, a small child in, in my grandmother's home and opening up her medicine cabinet and seeing one or two pill bottles in there. Nowadays, you go to your typical, you know, middle-class home and open up the medicine cabinet. It's full of crap. Right. And and, uh, and so you know, so there's obvious that the that that well, first of all, when we talk about the military-industrial complex, it's really the pharmaco-petro-military-industrial complex. So they're all in this together, and, um, and along with the insurance companies, it's um, uh, you know like for example, um, uh, if people knew what some of these drugs actually cost to produce versus what they uh, actually sell them for, they would crap their pants. Okay, like for example. Uh, uh, you have a uh, let's say you have a post-op patient, uh, post-op surgical patient in the hospital, who's on vancomycin one at one gram IV twice a day for a week. Let's say, okay, all right. Now one gram is twenty-five hundred bucks. Okay, so two grams a day is five thousand dollars a day. Okay, Holy so o- over a week. Okay. Five times seven, that's $35,000 just on their vancomycin IV antibiotic. Now, here's the thing. 
it, it cost approximately as much to produce vancomycin as it cost to produce Budweiser. Wow. That's... <laughs> It's unbelievable, you know, and, and I don't I don't think it's any secret, and I think I have this right. Um, I had seen statistics, I don't know, a year or two ago that claimed that the United States basically pays for the rest of the world's pharmacopical needs because our prices are so elevated due to the insurance company. I mean, we, we basically live in a situation where the doctor, it's almost like the doctor doesn't really look at you and diagnose you in the way that doctors did when I was young because first of all you have an insurance company dictating whether the doctor is going to get paid secondarily you have these pharma you know these pharmacy companies pushing very hard the drugs that are going to get issued um, and so I mean is all that correct well I'll, I'll say this when I was going through school you know we were all led to believe as students that man, when we were done and we got licensed, we were going to be running around with our stethoscopes and microscopes just saving lives on every street corner, okay? When you get done and you actually get licensed, you are ushered into a machine where the you are just expected to do your job and you are to never ask questions about why things are done a certain way and why things cost as much as they do. And if you start asking questions, you're going to be unhappy real soon. Who, who do you think is the, you know, the ultimate arbiter of this? Is it literally the, the pharmacy companies that are making the medications? Are they you know, the ultimate boss on top? Uh, well, I, I think it's I, I think it, it, it's it's all one big giant cabal. Okay, you know you're talking about the military, you're talking about the CIA, you're talking about the insurance companies, you're talking about the drug manufacturers, you're talking about the healthcare corporations. They're all in bed together, and they're they're the the concern of the health of the patient is way, way at the bottom, while the concern for more and more and more money is always at the tip of their, of their minds. Well, you've got to imagine, you know, any, any corporate entity that is paying attention to numbers, and there are very few that do not, you end up with an equation here, you know, profits is part of that equation, but at the top of that pyramid, wherever it is, you have to understand what you're doing to people. So I would, I mean, there's no way that I even think I could be convinced that that isn't part of the equation. I mean, they have to know that they're shortening lifespans. They have to know that they're dumbing down populations. I mean, don't they? Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the doctors who, the doctors and pharmacists who figured out who, who remain within the industry just swallow their conscience to the point where they can function because they realize that if they buck the system, you know, they'll be like me, kicked out, you know, with stripped of my license for a minor infraction and uh, forever suffer the consequences of, 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 uh, and shame of, of being a formal medical professional that was stripped of their license and try to get a job after such point, you know. They do what they 
take because they want to continue to support and take care of their families financially, and so they keep their mouth shut. So are you actually still working in this field, or have you left? Okay, so that's the end of the first part. The second part, as always, is posted on crow777radio.com. Oh, a couple, couple news items. Um, I did an interview in France with a translator some time ago, and that has recently posted. Um, if you go to episode 36, someone has actually named the guy. I think his name is Rock. But if you do a search for Crow77 and Rock, which is R-O-C-H, I believe, um, you should find it. You have to turn on subtitles to understand what the interviewer is asking me. And my response is a lot of it is about the lunar wave um, and the construct and, you know, with where we live anyhow also um the joker that bought the top level domain crow777.com apparently has a bug in his rug and is running all kinds of alistair crowley stuff um under that domain with my name to let folks know that that is fraud um trying to convince people that i'm luciferian i suppose whatever that's about anyhow i hope you all had a great holiday um christmas and the coming new year And uh, again, the second portion of this will be on crow777radio.com. And I would also mention, um, we get into a lot of things um, about the medical system, about pharmaceuticals, what happens. And uh, at one point, I began to ask him about false news and what his view of that is. And to cut to the chase, um, he does recognize what's going on in the news, which is just me talking to another person who I'd never met before. you know, if we had not been in this time year, it's unclear to me whether or not we would have done this show even. But I talked to him. He spoke well. Um, I think he had an interesting story, and we did it completely off the cuff. So it is a little bit different, but uh, there is some interesting stuff in the second hour. Um, so there it is, man. Cheers. Cheers.